Hello again. Welcome to the Highway Walkers podcast. My name is Daryl Johnston, and joining me today is the producing artistic director of the Ordway, Rod Cates. Uh, Rod, we're here to talk about theater and the state of the world. Um, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind just doing a quick intro of, of who you are and what you do. Sure. Hey, Daryl. Good to be here. Uh, Highway Walkers. So at some point, you're going to have to tell me more about that. I realized I haven't asked such a cool name for a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Happy to. Um, so who am I? Uh, I'm a theater maker. Um, I've been a director, producer, presenter. Uh, and I am, the, as you said, the producing artistic director at the Ordway Center for the Performing Arts here in St. Paul, which is just up the snowy road from us where we're sitting right now. Um, I had until recently been going back and forth between Minneapolis, St. Paul, and New York City um, multiple times a month, sometimes as frequently as once a month. I mean, excuse me, once a week. Um, I have an apartment in New York, in Manhattan, and also a place here in St. Paul. But of course, the pandemic um, has changed all that traveling. I spent a bunch of time in New York at the beginning of the pandemic, and, and now I've been in St. Paul since August 1st with no plans to go back to New York anytime soon. Uh, so that's where I am, who I am right now is different than who, like everyone, right? Very different than who I, how I would have defined myself um, back in March. Um, and even being a theater maker now, of course, that has completely, what that means has completely changed. Um, we presume temporarily, but we, it'll be interesting to see what happens on the other side of that. Well, yeah, we're, we're sitting in a big open room. I've, you know, masks uh, masks are on, so if I sound a little muffled, uh, there's no theater to go to at night. There's no reason to ask if you have plans to see the orchestra this evening. What is the state of the world, and from your perspective specifically, how it affects theater, and how, how are we going to move forward? I think the thing, I always try to get as far up, you know, I talk about being at 10,000 or 20,000 feet and trying to look at things. Um, it's one of the things that I, I grapple with all the time. In fact, ever since I was a kid, people would ask me, what do, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would always say, wise. And I always had an attraction to people who were older and wiser than me because I wanted to get on the treadmill to wisdom. I, I don't know that I actually made any, made any progress in that way, but I, I, do, I am predisposed to try to get outside my own head and my own subjective experience. Uh, as much as I can and look at larger pictures. And um, one of the larger pictures I see is a, and, and I think of it in a positive way, um, it has become very visceral for lots of people that the power of gathering in a room, um, whether it's to dance, to drink together, to hear a story, to watch a sporting event, to listen to an orchestra or an opera, is really crucial. Um, even to the extent that with the lengths to which people are going. Um, I mean, if you just ask yourself the stupid question, well, why doesn't everyone just stay home? Why not just stay home? I mean, you know, there's TV. We have each other, most, you know, except for people that live alone, but a lot of people have their families, and, you know, there's a lot of richness to just... And, and the reason they don't just stay home uh, is not just because we're all driven crazy by our families and drive our crazy family. Our, our family's crazy. It's also because... We need to be together. We need to be with other people to feel human. And I think there is something in particular about the theater experience that makes it, and I guess the same thing would be true of music and opera, other forms that are similar. And, and I separate them, say, from a sporting event because 
a couple things happen usually in those situations, particularly with opera and theater, is that the lights go out, uh, and you're you're also listening to a story. It's not a contest, but it's a story, um, and you don't know you don't know much about anyone around you other than the fact that you all were joined together. You made a choice to come together in this space, in this room, and hear this story. And, you know, I could wax on about the Greeks and people sitting around fires to listen to stories, and who knows, right? I'm not a historian. I don't, I don't know. But it's unmistakably powerful, the draw toward coming together. And for me, the first thing I experienced was the lack of hugs, the lack of physical contact. I literally felt like I have, I still do, have a feeling on the inside of my arm that is aching for uh, human contact. Um, and I think if I hug my partner one more time, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna hit me. Um, and you know, you, you want to hug other people. You want, it's like you want that physical contact. And then the other visceral feeling I'm having is that that the magic that happens for me, which is something I've always appreciated, but there's something especially poignant right now that I see in other people, a kind of new appreciation for the importance of that. Um, and it goes beyond just the visceral feeling of being in a dark room and hearing a story and being entertained or enlightened or provoked um, or all of those things, ideally, in the theatrical experience. It, it has to do with something much more primal, which I, don't, I can't describe, but I know that the, the uh, storytelling, um, it, must, it must have something to do with... I mean, scientists, when you read up about it, will tell you that one of the unique things about being human is storytelling. I mean, it's something we do that other species don't do. Um, and there must have been something. We've developed it um, over the millennia in a way because it is more than just fun. It's more than just emotionally um, provocative or exciting or stimulating. It's, it's primal. It's, it, it must have something to do with survival. Um, and... Uh, I think that one of the, I hope if we can solve the problem of the pandemic, however quickly we solve it, one of the positive outcomes on the other end is that the value of storytelling in theater, uh, in particular, since that's my focus, um, won't be taken for granted um, anymore. And even for people who were fans, they will have a new kind of spiritual understanding of its importance. Um, so that you, you know, you hear a phrase like, oh, the arts are important and support the arts and, you know, we need the, that in our culture, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, of course that's true and that's a meaningful statement, but what it misses is it misses that thing that's in our gut, that unknowable thing that like a magnet draws us all into a room together. I mean, I, I mean, where else? We're not fans. We're, we're not like fans in a sports team. They're drawn together for that reason, right? There's something about the story and even in opera, the stories are usually known, right? There's a lot more. I mean, the opera, the canon of opera, certainly there are new ones, but pretty much that audience is going to hear a story. They know how that's going to come out. Where in the theater, more often than not, you don't know what, what that story is. And the idea that we would do such an insane thing, that we would go out of our way and spend a lot of money and get dressed up and hire a babysitter and drag our kids and, and buy a seat and deal with the tight parking problem. I mean, you could just go on and on. Like, it's really extreme what you have to go through for that. It, and of course, to me, it's like, well, duh, of course they're going to do that because it's the most amazing thing in the world. But the fact that so many people do it and so many people appreciate it, I think, I hope that they will connect with that um, deeper human magnetic 
thing which draws them there. I think that's so fertile and so interesting, and it so uh, transcends all of our other differences, race and politics and religion and age, um, background and experience. All those things are leveled in a dark room when you're hearing a story. And um, I'm just getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It's, um, it, it certainly is my church. It always has been. And I think it has a kind of... In, in, yeah, maybe other people are luckier. They have the church and the theater. Uh, but for me, it is very much a spiritual experience. So when you ask me what's the state of theater, um, I focus a lot on that, the importance of that. Um, I could go on. But of course, it misses the, the more the word the the things which are in closer proximity which I also focus on I worry a lot about artists I worry a lot about artists survival I worry about their um, getting um, you know like having to find other forms of livelihood feeling less than um, so I'm very preoccupied with that and and, uh, wish I could do more, and we'll continue to think of ways that I can do more to support um, artists, um, in particular artists like performers or directors or choreographers or people who really can't practice their craft in the absence of a room full of people. Um, I worry about them. First of all, what you said was so beautiful, and I had never heard the perspective of when we come back that hopefully people see it as a, they just are reminded and don't take the arts for granted. When we come back, we're gonna like come and, and, and realize like what we're missing because we're missing a foundational part of ourselves right now. I don't know, it's, I'm feeling very sentimental over theater. Yeah. I mean, I don't wanna know how many specifics you can share about the Ordway, uh, but I know you did the outdoor cabaret. Do you have plans? Yeah, I mean, of course, like, you know, we're, you, at first, there was the deer caught in the headlights moment, right, where we were all just panicking, going, "Is this temporary? Is this long term? Do we? How do we pivot? What do we do?" Um, and I feel like, you know, now looking back on that, we lost some time, just simply because we were um, in a blizzard, really, of, of information with, and, and a blizzard of unknowns. Um, and and as that settled a bit, and it and, and we looked like, "Oh, this is going to be around longer." Um, you know, we started doing what a lot of institutions are doing, which is figuring out how to recreate what we do online um, in some way or another, which, you know, is very strange. I mean, how do you, um, I, you know, it must be strange for teachers too, you know, and we all <laughs> have forgotten that there's another place too where the, the human, the connection, the being, the proximity of uh, being in spitting distance mm-hmm. <laughs> of each other uh, is now so dangerous. Um, so we've we've created some virtual work, um, and one of them is 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 a series not very imaginatively called "Meet the Artists," um, which goes back to my concern about artists. And I thought, well, <clears throat> if if I can't put on a show right now, um, I'd at least like to talk to artists, and I'd like to, and I think the audiences want to hear from artists and. That's been gaining some traction, I think, as we've now committed to it as a, a series which is going to last um, throughout the entire winter. Um, we've had some pretty exciting guests so far. We um, we have uh, we had Adam Pascal and Anthony Rapp and Martha Banta um, to talk about Rent. Um, Rent is scheduled to play at the Ordway in the summer of 21. Still on the schedule, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and Martha worked on the original production of Rent um, when it was first done off-Broadway uh, at the New York Theater Workshop and then stayed with the show for about 10 years as a resident, uh, resident director. And so, of course, she knew Anthony and Adam well, and I thought, wow, this was a great way to, let's talk about, let's talk about the original production of Rent. So mm -hmm. that was a wonderful hour. They were absolutely delightful. They were really, yeah, it was, I mean, again, the, one of the good things about what's happened, while immediately, of course, your response is, well, we don't do theater online, right? We don't, we, theater's live. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a new appreciation for um, what we can do is we can talk about the work, which mm -hmm. for a long time felt, you know, a little bit indulgent. Like, why talk about it? Let's just do it, right? And theater people are very famous for just do it. You know, it's action-oriented. Um, it's one of the basic tenets of acting, right? That uh, is, acting is action. So talking about your work <laughs> feels really flabby uh, until you get to the point where that's all you can do or one of the right. only things you can do. And so the, the investment that these artists have brought to these conversations has really been lovely. Um, we did another one where we had a little uh, reunion party with the three actors that played Donna, Tanya, and Rosie in our production of Mamma Mia. And we called it a Donna and the Dynamos reunion party. And we all made... Um, uh, cock, you know, pink cocktails and, and had fun. That was just the other night. Uh, we also had Jared Grimes on for an hour. Jared Grimes choreographed our production of 42nd Street, um, and he was fascinating, uh, fascinating artist. And, and upcoming, we have some great guests. Tamara Tooney, who was in our production of 42nd Street, who's a pretty well-known television and film actor and jazz singer and just, again, a multi-talented, uh, very fascinating person, lovely person, and an exciting artist is, is, is coming up for an interview. And we will have um, several, if not all, of the queens from six in an hour, mm. uh, one hour. So we're from starting in December and reaching into next spring each month, we hope to be presenting one of the queens. Um, so that's all sort of in process right now. So we're not quite at the point where we're ready to announce it. But that whole series now is really taking on some traction. Um, and for me, it's felt good because um, I'm sort of on a campaign just in general to, I think partly inspired by COVID, but also partly before that, um, that really artists are visionaries in the world and artists are innovators and um, artists are always ahead of the rest of us. And, and they have so much to offer. And, and I think because so many people want to be artists, the, the extreme population of them. I don't know, I don't to get into an al analyzing what's happened, but I know that there's a need to foreground their work and to recenter artists in the world, um, in my world and in the world. Um, and so uh, an up-close and personal conversation um, in a video screen where you're right up on an artist's face and talking to them, uh, to me feels like um, a luxury right now and an important thing to do, um, e even in its... Um, myriad inadequacies um, and the other thing we're doing is yes we did an outdoor again I wish I thought of it sooner um, but we did an outdoor cabaret um, performance um, on our loading dock um, which turns out if you you know if you're in the right mind you never know when there's where there's a stage that you haven't seen it before and so um, it was Diane Nixa our vice president of advancement who said maybe we should just do it just do something at the loading dock and you know, on the surface, that sounded like an insane idea, um, which of course makes me more interested in it. The, the more insane the idea is, the more interested in it. So we went out and stood in front of it, and I went, "Oh my God, 
look at that. It's a platform. It's a stage. Yeah. It's a stage. <laughs> yeah. Right? And not only that, there's actually what Shakespeare would call, right, the Shakespeare inner above and inner below. So uh-huh. ab- above the loading dock platform is a little balcony that comes off our rehearsal room called the Drake Room. And the uh, so you can walk out of the Drake Room, stand on this upper platform, walk down a staircase and be on the lower platform. And now you can actually have a show on cool. two levels um, with an audience. That the uh, So it turns out to be, in many ways, an ideal uh, performance space. Um, you know, it's not perfect. It's, it, unfortunately, it's right on Fifth Street, which is a major artery into St. Paul. So lots of noisy buses and cars and going by while you're performing. But the audiences were, were, were great, um, great sports, and, and pretty much you tune that out. Just like grateful to probably be there to hear something live. Well, it's interesting because my theory about about the people's new appreciation for this is was um, I had already been formulating this hypothesis when I did that, um, but once it happened, um, and, and I'd had my own experience. We'd had one rehearsal where the first time since March I heard someone sing a song in a room, not over a screen, and I felt weak in, weak in the knees. It reminded me of a moment when, you know, I met somebody that I was instantly falling in love with, you know, that feeling that we've had, if we're lucky, once or twice in our lives. And it literally, I, I almost felt like I was going to, like, fall to my knees and, and, and put my hands together in prayer, thanking for that experience. And in the first couple, we, only, we scheduled it for two performances as a thank you for some of our donors. It was, so it was non-ticketed. Um, and, and everybody within moments was crying. And, and I think it really reinforced that notion of we don't, I don't, like I said earlier in this interview, we don't know why it's so important. Uh, and I'm not sure that's actually, we don't know, we, we need to know why it's important, but we do need to know that it is. And we need to pay attention to our bodies. And when we have reactions like that where tears come to our eyes or we get goosebumps or the hairs on our arms stand up mm-hmm. or we feel weak in the knees. And th- this, is our, this is the knowledge that we have inside our bodies that is communicating with us about the importance of things. I've always believed in the wisdom of the body. And, and there was a group of 70 people uniformly having a physical reaction to this, uh, this very simple event of somebody singing a song to them. Um, you know, no lights with buses, loud buses going by you know, with masks on their faces, separated from everybody in the broad daylight. I mean, you know, kind of like the worst, in a way, <laughs> the worst, you know, the, <clears throat> the place that was the least hospitable to that experience, and there they were having it. Um, so we will certainly do, we're looking at all different kinds of options for outdoor performance in the future. Um, you know, there are other things that the Ordway is, is doing also, um, we're presenting other virtual events with audiences from out of town. Um, we're, we uh, screened a film, the John Lewis Good Trouble film, which was followed by a um, discussion session after. So some of the things we're exploring are in combination with other theaters across the country. Um, so uh, I guess the best thing to do is we're not going away. Um, and for anybody that uh, um, would like to learn more, if they go to ordway.org, they'll see what we've got um, going on um, at the moment. And there's all, you know, the, the Minneapolis-St. Paul's full of lots of talented artists and lots of theater companies, many of them doing terrific work. So there's, there's all kinds of outlets mm-hmm. for that. Um, so far, I have sort of stayed away from the trying to create narrative work for video, like putting on a play online, um, radio plays. I know some theaters are doing that, and, and I've appreciated and, and enjoyed some of that work. Um, I, yeah, I don't know quite why I haven't felt 
really compelled. First of all, there's, it, it's, it's being handled. Uh, I mean, and certainly, you know, interviewing artists online in a sort of talk show format, meet the artist, is not the most creative idea in the world. But it feels very nourishing to me because we can, I can spend a longer, I can go deeper. Um, and, and it's, uh, and even because the video screen is between us, that when I'm, when you're doing a narrative work, it's the video screen and the character and the text of the play and the story in all, in a weird way, while they were non-barriers in a live room, to me are extra layers that are almost like a film between me and the artist. So for, for me, there is something really satisfying about getting to talk to them directly. Uh, and getting them to tell me their stories and to rem and for them to reminisce um, about things they've done before. So I'm putting a lot of energy into um, making stars out of them, frankly, um, <laughs> because they are stars. They deserve, uh, you know, they are. They have such wisdom, and we have so much to learn. Um, one of my favorite things in the in the cabaret uh, is one of our resident artists, Jamicia Bennett, uh, who is the other resident artist, Tyler Michaels King also an amazing artist. Jamisa, Tyler couldn't do the show and, and Jamisia was really busy. She's opening a restaurant. She's got so many things going on. She's really an incredible, really like kind of comet of energy. And I was like, no, no, come on, just sing one song. And so she said, oh, well, I, you know, Saturdays are so busy. I'd like literally have to pull up in my car, jump out, sing a song and jump back in. And when she said that, I thought, oh, no, you won't actually. So we managed to talk a, um, a limousine company into providing a limousine and we rolled out a red carpet for her so she arrived and walked up on a red carpet oh, which was also my way of sort of saying see see this is artists are royalty um, uh, and not just Jamesia but all of them um, to really sort of appreciate the, the, the power of them this episode is thanks to my patrons at patreon.com become a patron for as little as five dollars a month You'll get early access to podcasts, songs, videos, and much more. Patreon.com slash Daryl Johnston. This episode is also brought to you by Adirondack Mountain Coffee. Located in the small town of Upper Jay, New York, in the heart of the Adirondack Mountains. They roast their coffee to perfection. And I've been drinking Hiker's Delight, and it is definitely an eye-opener. Visit adkmountaincoffee.com. That's adkmountaincoffee.com. Also, thank you to an additional sponsor, the Denali Film Festival, taking place in Denali National Park, Alaska. For more information, visit denalifilmfestival.com. So for looking ahead, we will... Um, we're, we're, we are thinking about possibly doing some live streaming or socially distanced performances inside... Um, it's very fraught, uh, partly because I'm surrounded by a group of really thoughtful, um, super smart colleagues who are putting together protocols for how that can be done. And of course, the news and the science is not evolving as much on a daily basis as it used to, but, um, you know, it changes. Uh, and so figuring out how to navigate performance inside is complicated, but we're, we, just, we are certainly looking at it. Uh, and my original thought of, I mean, the economics of an indoor socially distanced performance are, economics of any kind of performance right now, frankly, are really hampered. But, um, you know, knowing in advance that you can sell 25% of the tickets, it's just impossible. I mean, um, the margin on, 
Uh, and, and while we're, we're a not-for-profit organization, we obviously can't just continue to hemorrhage money. Um, you know, we have to look at things. Can they pay for themselves? Or at least can they get, you know, is there some way we can get that, um, the balance sheet to make a little bit more sense? Um, and it, it is not only more expensive now to perform indoors than it used to be um, because of all these extra protocols and safety measures, but then you can also only sell 25% of the house. And then you sort of think to yourself, but the nearest person is like, oh, all the way over there. And so that the impact of the, 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 nobody wants to be too packed in, but part of the fun of being in the theater is that you're hearing the laughter all around you and mm-hmm. the, you can hear the person sniffling because they're crying right behind you or laugh, you know, all of that is just part of that experience. So, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm um, push, trying to push through that and figure out there may be ways to crack that nut too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the really, really different things about what's going on right now is the inability to plan very far in the future. Because yeah. anything you come up with, I mean, almost kind of no matter what you do, right? Even if you do something that you know now you can achieve, well, by the time you get to it, you might be able to achieve something more than that. So that thing you planned feels deficient. On the other hand, you may also plan something that's so ambitious so that by the time you get to be able to do it, it's too ambitious and you can't do it. And then you have to think, well, a lot of people make the mistaken impression to say, well, well, you know, by then it'll be fine. Well, it's, it's not just that people can come see the theater. You know, theater requires advance sale. Everything is done very, very far in advance. You know, I, I'm usually working 18 months in advance. Um, and 18 months, are you kidding? I mean, I, I'm, you know, 18 days, even that's a little like, you know, reckless. So trying to figure out how to calibrate um, things so that you, you don't over, you're not too ambitious, but you're also not, uh, you don't under, you're, not, you're not overly cautious so that you can end up delivering something that it matches the moment when the moment arrives, but that also fits a space where somebody's willing to actually commit to it now and buy a ticket to it, to the point you just want to go take a nap after a while. You just think, oh, I can't. <laughs> Not to moan, I mean, many people have much harder situations than I do, but the, the sort of, you do feel a little bit like you're running around in a maze with no exit uh, after a while, that there's, um, you know, you get 75 or 80% to a solution, and then it's that last 20% that just, disables every all the work that you did up to that point because it just negates it for one reason or another so it's complicated no exit might be a great there you go so apart from work and what you are producing how do you as just a a theater lover and connoisseur how how are you dealing and coping and and where do you get your fix these days why i don't really um uh, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I've been watching a fair amount of TV uh, and, and appreciating TV in a way that um, I haven't, you know, like we ponied up for an HBO subscription, <laughs> something that I would never have, I, I, I've always thought, why spend money on, you know, there's so much free TV out there or next to free. Is it um, to watch the West Wing special coming out? I'm about, yeah, it's kind of, I, I haven't missed it, have I? I've been looking forward I to it. I don't think it's No, and I'm sure it'll be rebroadcast. <laughs> yeah, I love, I was a huge fan of the West Wing. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and you know, I've been really impressed with, I mean, you know, all those different channels. I mean, the fact that, um, there's so much television out there. And so I've been sort of catching up and I'm sort of a, I'm strange. I like, there's a lot of movies that I just never saw when they came out. I I was not really a movie person. I don't, as much as I like theater, I didn't like the experience of seeing movies. I found them too loud. Um, I found the music really, really loud. I found the, um, 
the experience of the audiences being in an audience they were uh, I don't know what it was what it was for me it was mostly the but it was mostly the way the screen it was just so big and people's faces were so enormous and the music was so loud and everything was edited so fast and there was so much fun that I just felt very overwhelmed by it and so um, I, I don't I mean I think I can count on one hand the number of movies I've seen in a movie theater in the last 20 years I just never went um, so as a result I missed a lot of stuff, and so I'm catching up on some some movies that I get that that's a good thing, um, and I'm spending a lot of time doing what I just described with the way I'm getting my fixes. My you know my work is probably too present in my life. It's uh, it's very important to me. It's all, it's always been a crucial part of how I've defined myself. I've never done anything other than the theater, and I've been in the theater in one way or another since I was five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anything else I did was a straight job that I, quote unquote, straight job or day job that I took in order to um, do the theater work. Um, and so uh, I don't, I, I can't, my work is not separate from my life. They're completely intertwined. Um, and, and, and I've been, honestly, feel, felt a bit disabled by the, the, you know, it's like, I'm still in shock, I think, that the idea that I can't do what I used to do all the time. I mean, I used to go to the theater three and four times. Whether I was here in New York, I was here or whether I was in New York, I was constantly going to the theater and love it. Um, even when I didn't enjoy the particular experience, I always found something really interesting. It just, it was almost like I couldn't get enough of it. I can't consume enough theater. I'm always fascinated and love being around artists and love seeing the work of a set designer or a lighting designer or watching somebody have a reaction to it. Or, I mean, I'm even moved seeing people standing under a marquee about to go into a theater. Uh, I mean, so even not even going to the show, but just being around the space for me, it's always had a kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, otherworldly importance. So, so I think I'm still, you know, walking around like a, a Shakespearean character, sort of lost, going, but wait, you know, looking for the looking for the door to open, wait, waiting to wake up from this nightmare uh, when things will be different. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, of course, I try. I, I, I have been. What have I been doing? It's so weird because you know, this, oh, it, no. well, but it's come up in these meet the artist thing, and I think I've I understand that we what we want to do as humans is we want to say, well, okay, now there's a problem, there's an ailment, right, which is cancer of the so what are you doing to fix it? Um, and I'm even in those um, as you've asked me this question, I'm aware now that I've sort of started to talking to people, wanting to one of the women I interviewed that played Tanya in Mamma Mia is a, a wonderful actor named Anne Michaels, who's a she runs, was running every morning and started taking nature shots and has really trained herself to be an amazing nature photographer. And I was very much wanting to invest. I wanted, her, I wanted to feel let off the hook. I wanted her to tell me that these nature photography has taken the place of art. But of course it hasn't. She's not making any money on nature photography. And she's desperately um, lonely, not lonely, desperately missing performance. I mean, there's just some things that can't be compensated for. That's not that's not the sunny answer. Well, that's but it's the truth. I mean, yeah, that's all I was looking for. I'm I'm still in grief, honestly, and and we'll continue to be in grief until uh, it's back and 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 back in a certain robust way, um, and not in the um, you know, I, I little by little I allow myself to be okay with compromised forms. 
but um, and there's the line at which you cross. There was something about a cabaret performance, which of course lacks choreography, um, you know, scenes, costumes, sets, you know, outdoors with buses going by. That was it was enough. It was a lot. It's a story. The person's telling a story in a live space um, where other people are there present. Um, and for me, that's the threshold. Anything underneath that is very hard for me to to feel satisfied with. Well, I don't know if um, I'm saying like misery loves company, but I'm accompanying you in that misery of just missing theater. But I also understand what you mean about doing these artist spotlights and, and getting to chat with people one-on-one, like sitting across the table from you mm. and hearing you talk about, you know, give voice to these feelings that I've been having about missing the work like means so much and like I said like getting sentimental for it but yeah just swimming in these like hopefulness hopelessness grief anticipation loss like uh it's very Shakespearean that's a good yeah I think you know my parents were both therapists and so and and I and I have you know my mother. I always say that she's some combination of a Buddha and a good witch. She believes she even calls herself the good witch. Um, and uh, I was struggling with something the other day, and she said a version of what she said to me my whole life, which is stay with the feeling, don't medicate it, don't try to escape it, don't even try to solve it. She said just let it be. Um, and you know she would say a version of invite it to the table. And whenever I was struggling with a problem in my life or with something I couldn't figure out, and she would say, you know, basically stick your head in the lion's mouth rather than withdraw from it. Or we're so focused on problem solving in this culture and we're so afraid, frankly, of uh, and so made uncomfortable by uh, by sad or any, any feeling that isn't just hopeful and joyful, anything that isn't modulated, right? People are made uncomfortable by that. Well, wait a minute. If you're suffering, you know, well, we got to give you a pill of some kind. You know, whether it, you know, how are you compensating? You know, like even me trying to, you know, wish onto Anne that her nature photography was the pill that was going to solve. Of course it's not. Uh, Beautiful as that work is. Um, And so I think there's wisdom in, my mother would say the thing about the Jungian. I think it's a Jungian thing of, you know, stay in the pot when it starts to get, when it starts to boil. And in the in the acceptance of this feeling in that it doesn't have to be self-indulgent grieving, but there is knowledge and information to be had by not compensating, by not fixing, uh, by not substituting. Um, sometimes just being in the stillness and being without that thing that you really cherish is the right approach. Um, I mean, even when you asked me the question, like, well, what are you doing? I felt a little bit embarrassed. Like, well, yeah, I should be doing something, right? I mean, you know, I'm a, I, I have resources. I'm, I have enormous privilege. Um, I have access. You know, why aren't, I, why aren't I painting or, I don't know, doing something useful with myself? And I'm sitting around going, oh, I miss theater, you know? But <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, but, and, and I guess the answer is somewhere in between those two things, right? Nobody wants to wallow. Um, but I, I also don't think that by staying with a feeling, you know, I think uh, I would, in, I try to invite myself to, um, you know, navigate that space where honoring a negative, uh, whether it's sadness or missing somebody or grief, uh, is a good thing. And, and that to honor it and to, and to hold it and to stay with it is not to wallow in it or to be indulgent. Um, 
and and I, you know, just to be patient with ourselves. I mean, you know, in the same way now that I go back and beat myself up for not having actioned things earlier in the summer. Why wasn't I out doing, thinking of doing cabarets earlier? I mean, the fact is I was in shock. I just didn't even know what to do. Um, and, I, you know, we were all worried about going to the grocery store. You were going to fall down dead in the, in the produce aisle. I mean, you know, it was like you just you couldn't. And it's um, tough to say because it would be hard to encourage people to gather. I think that would be part of the pressures from mm-hmm. your perspective. Of, right, right. And I know I've asked you this before that we have on the website of lists of book recommendations from, from people of note. But it's kind of fun to get one later on to see if it's changed. It doesn't have to be your favorite book, but just a Yeah, book. books that are important to me recently. So I'm sort of uh, embarrassingly famous for starting and never finishing books. I cannot tell you the number of books I have that I've read two-thirds of and not finished. Um, and I've actually got three going at the moment. And, I, and one of them is White um, Fragility. And another was How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, and a third one, that, which I just started um, yesterday, um, by a guy named, I think his name is Scott Stevens. I wrote it down because I was afraid I was going to forget it. Yeah, Stuart Stevens. It was all a lie, how the Republican Party became Donald Trump. Um, It's fascinating by a a Republican insider who was um, uh, managed media for Republican candidates his entire career, basically, is now looking back, you know, recognizing, for example, all the racism implied in the quote-unquote Southern strategy of the Republican Party and um, I'm, I'm a massive news junkie, so I, um, I have uh, subscriptions to The Atlantic, to The New York Times, to The Washington Post, and to Time Magazine, and I'm trolling back and forth between them all the time. Um, I mean, I, I, I have alerts on my phone. I mean, I read The New York Times literally from cover to cover every day. I'm completely consuming it. So I'm way more of a periodical guy more than I am um, a book guy. Um, so those are three, and the, the White Fragility is interesting. As, as I was reading White Fragility, I was also reading newly, newly formed critique of White Fragility, and something came um, into my consciousness, which I've really been focused on um, a lot lately, which somebody used the expression. It was, it was basically a critique of one of the aspects of the book of White Fragility to say that the author fetishizes difference. And that really got at something um, I'm not sure how much more information or how much time we have, but the, the, of course, a lot of the journey that we are going through now after the murder of George Floyd and even prior to that, I've been very focused on, um, on equity and inclusion and diversity in the work. Um, having started at the Ordway in um, 2018, um, I felt um, an immediate uh, kind of urgent need to um, figure out how to address some of that um, those aspects of our sort of the tear in our society in our work as storytellers so I've always been very focused on that and one of the things that really interests me is this concept of, of um, fetishizing difference um, I'm also in spite of what I said before about not trying to solve problems of course the, the very nature of what I do all day long is problem solving and so I'm looking at the what is this horrible inequity in our culture and wanting to fix it. And I have recognized moments when, um, and again, it, from my, I have to say from my own limited perspective as a, as a white guy um, of a certain age with certain privilege in a leadership position. So with all of those disclaimers in mind, with a healthy skepticism about my own 
myopia and you know my views are limited um, by, by a lot of those things um, but I also think about problem solving and there's there's something about the journey that sometimes gets to a moment of a, a kind of aha moment I'm I'm of course steeped in racism I grew up in America like everybody else um, you know the whole concept of this is what's so great about the book how to be an anti-racist there's no such thing you're not you're not it, Racism is a thing. We're all in it. The best we can do is work against it, right? So that's a given. And we don't need to get caught up in, I'm a racist. Well, we're all racist. Let's just face it. We're in, we're, we, were, we grew up in a racist society. We can't escape it. We can't escape it any more than we cannot breathe the oxygen in the air. Um, but then within that, you, you start to figure out how do you start to then, how do you change your own behavior? How do, how do you try to become anti-racist in a, in a world that is so racist. And sometimes I've seen get to a place where there, what feels like an aha, aha moment. So like I'm working and I'm trying to get something solved and then I say something stupid, you know, that I now you know, I look back and go, oh, wow, that was, that's, that was racist. That's, you know, that's my racism talking or the racism that I've experienced or that I'm steeped in. Um, and sometimes I have felt like everything that I have gained up to that point is immediately eradicated. And this may just be me doing this, but I felt like I've in some ways been invited to see, see, see what you said. It really proves who you are. And now I go back to square one. It's like, a, what's that game we used to play, that shoots and ladders when you were a kid. Now you're all the way back to the beginning, you know, go back to go and you build again. Um, and there, I feel like there is something in white fragility, um, amazingly full of valuable stuff that I've, I've felt very enriched by and, and, and have, open my eyes but I also I do worry about how do we find and I think it's mostly the responsibility for white people because we built the culture that we built we have to we have to get ourselves out of it how do we find solutions in the you know how do we build solutions I feel like I'm sort of talking around a point but um, that's part of why I don't finish books because as I'm reading them starting reading critique of the book and trying to think about the alternative point of view and I get lost in this universe of conflicting ideas you know as I said at the very beginning of this you know I'm 10,000 trying to get 10,000 feet up and get wisdom and sometimes that um, I, I, in, 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 uh, uh, in search of that I end up just inert from the snowstorm of information that I'm allowing to seep into my well, head well the book is clearly having a, an effect on you yes. and causing you to think a lot so yes. I, I think it deserves a, a shout out on the book recommendation for sure oh it's it's essential reading i think for all white people and um and i think how to be an anti-racist is also the ibrahim or i'm I'm sure i'm mispronouncing his name and i forgot his last name he's a wonderful writer i've seen him on a ted talk as well um you know one of the things i think is really um that i feel very blessed is that in spite of the fact that i uh, no doubt i came you know, I've lived a, a privileged life in many ways, but my father was in the military, and so we moved constantly. I had lived in 17 different homes by the time I was 10 years old, um, and including in Bangkok, Thailand, and in places as diverse as, you know, Washington, D.C., and San Antonio, Texas, and, the, and rural Mississippi, um, where I went to school. Um, and, you know, when we were in Bangkok, I went to a Catholic school, even though my family's not Catholic, but it was the only place that my parents felt safe sending me to school. And because I was exposed to so many different cultures, both in the U.S. and abroad, um, from a, from an early time, um, I feel grateful that I think that has given me a perspective um, that um, makes me. <clears throat> this is the the thing too that I think 
one of the things I'm very excited about, um, I mean, I guess this is the theme for me to try to see a silver lining, but if we were able to achieve a more equitable world and in the universe that I'm in, which is the theater, there are so many stories that have not been told. There are so many cultures that have not been celebrated. Um, so many artists who have not had voices, who've not been given a platform. Um, you know, the theater is is pretty myopic in terms of, you know, it's a pretty much a white um, Western European, you know, it's it's uh, insular. Um, you know, it was for, by, for, and about white people, um, not entirely, and certainly there, there are changes, but um, afoot. But I'm really interested in other cultures, and I feel like let's put our eye on the prize for a second and say, yes, this is hard work, but diversity, equity, inclusion is not just eating your vegetables. Um, you don't, we don't do it just because we should be doing it. We, we should be doing it because there's an entire world of untold stories and riches. If we would just substitute our fear of difference for curiosity um, and excitement and like little children, like, oh, cool, what's this? Like going into a whole room of things, we've music we've never heard, dances that we've never seen, languages that we've never heard spoken. There's just literally so much out there. Um, and so, you know, if it rests with white people to solve the problem that white people created, which it does, well then let's, one of the ways to neutralize some of the anxiety around this is to recognize this is a boon for everybody. Um, you know, Artists of color are and from people from other cultures are going to get an opportunity to express themselves in an art form where they've been shut out, and and the the people that have been lucky enough to have careers or lucky enough to be able to afford the tickets are get to get to hear stories and learn things that they've never heard before. And while that doesn't mean we shouldn't take the work seriously, there is there's Christmas morning is ahead of us, right? There's literally presents under the tree to be unwrapped where all of our lives are going to be enriched. Um, and, and I know that because when I was a, a kid, when I was in Thailand, you know, talk about, I had no idea. Like, th there was no way I could rule anything out. In order to survive when you're 10 years old in an international school, you didn't get to pick your friends. I mean, everyone was a possible, anyone and everyone was a possible friend. And so there was something about being plopped into that impossible situation that allowed me to appreciate and value difference because it, it was my saving grace that that person from another culture uh, who didn't look like me might be my friend and I needed a friend because I was a stranger in a strange land um, and I and I, I try to bring that energy to thinking about diversity in this work of um, like be a child again and, and um, behind that thing that you don't know or are unfamiliar with is an absolute trove um, a treasure chest of riches and uh, enlightenment and fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and hopefully that same idea of of a, a wealth of information and opportunity is here with COVID as well. We have seen a lot of people be super innovative and and try new things, do things like you were saying uh, that some artists are, are trying some new uh, mediums, which I've done as well, and like just to try to adapt. But I think as theater as a whole. The term that I've been interested in is, is instead of just doing a Zoom reading, which is great, like a, of a play, doing something on Zoom, to actively participate in the evolution of theater, which is inevitably going to happen after this. Mm -hmm. Like it will be inherently different. 
um, socially, racially, economically, but also like maybe just like the medium itself and how we approach it and how we value it. And I, I want to participate in that. I don't want to just like go to a show and go, oh, that was cool. Right. I remember right. that. I well, that brings us back full circle to what we talked about at the beginning. If in fact my theory is true that people already who appreciate theater and people who don't will have a new appreciation for theater. I mean, I can think right now, if you were able to turn a key right now and you were able to say everybody in the world, rush into theaters, rush into symphony halls, rush into ballet everybody would I mean if we could just make it safe right now the number of people that would go oh my god that I can do that thing that I, you know, even people that didn't do it all that often <coughs> and so if it's true maybe there's a you know maybe there's a re- when we come back it's going to be with such a resurgence there's going to be such an appreciation for that mm-hmm. and then if there's also all these new stories and new artists mm-hmm. well and that's what we need we need more platforms more performances more audience more artists we need to expand. Um, the best thing for us to happen is the theater to open its arms up wider for all of these new stories and for audiences to come in in, in larger numbers to mm-hmm. see them. Um, and that is a kind of I know, utopian. Uh, but that's what, that's what I'm going to focus on and that's what I'm going to work. That's what I'm going to fantasize about because that would be a great thing. Um, there's so much wisdom in storytelling, so much wisdom in the gathering of people together. Um, so much you know the antidote to all the polarization right like we're so getting into these stratified camps of beliefs and mm-hmm. uh, cultures and political persuasions that um, that we need equalizers like live performance where mm-hmm. where everybody shares the same emotion and this the same thing and um, I do think it's um, it, it is key to our survival uh, as a species, what we learn in the process of being in the room together to hear a story, and what we bring to that experience, um, is related to in ways that I'm not exactly sure, but I feel positive it is related to um, the the survival of you know of being able to move forward in a positive way to make our planet safer, um, and to make our world safer, and to make people live in harmony. That's what it is, isn't it? I mean, they're in harmony. When you're in the theater, you're in harmony. The lights are out. You're all watching the same story. All your differences fade away. You're all together in that moment. And ultimately, isn't that what we're all about? <laughs> Thank you for sharing your wisdom, Rod. I, you, you said at the very top, you're like, I don't know if I have any, but that's what I want. Well, you have some. Let well, this be nice to say, yeah. a case that you, you certainly, certainly do. That's uh, kind of you. Thank you, Carol. It's have, great to talk to you. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Remember, just ask your smart speaker to play the Highway Walkers podcast. Thanks again to my sponsors, patrons on patreon.com, and a special thanks to you for tuning in. Until next time.